and welcome to season eight of the Abiding Together podcast. Abiding Together is a place where you can find connection, rest, and encouragement on your journey with Jesus Christ. My name is Sister Miriam James Heidland, and each and every week I am joined by two of my very dearest friends, Heather Kim and Michelle Bensinger. This podcast is born out of our friendship and sharing all kinds of things together. Our walk with Jesus, our insights, the lessons we are still learning, our joys, sorrows, tears, and laughter, and you are most welcome on the journey with us. You can find out more information about all of our episodes at abidingtogetherpodcast.com. But for now, grab a cup of coffee, settle in, and welcome home. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Abiding Together podcast. We have a wonderful guest uh, with us today that you are going to absolutely love. We cannot, we've been looking forward for a long time of having him on our show and you're going to love him, but we're going to make you wait to find out who it is. So <laughs> before we do that, so um, Michelle, we should probably talk to you first because there's a hurricane coming your way and we might lose you at some point during the show and we might lose you out to sea. So are you okay? Are you hanging in there? I am fine. We are actually recording this Aldatha podcast on Our Lady of Sorrows feast day. <laughs> And tomorrow, Hurricane Sally is supposed to hit, and we're right in the middle of it right now. Um, so she's just dumping a lot of rain on us, but she keeps on moving east, so she could really hit us. But I've lived in the Gulf Coast majority of my life, so I'm used to hurricanes, so they don't phase me. But I'm just praying for all of those that are in its path and just praying for safety. And I felt kind of funny because I was driving over to my neighbors to record because my kids are home and the post office was the only car out. I'm like, me in the post office, come win, come rain. I'm going to record. Here we go. So it was kind of fitting. My listeners are so great. Yes, yes. Yeah, thanks for risking your life. Yeah, thank Michelle. you. Just for all of you all. And I was excited for our guests. So it was good. Yeah, we couldn't we couldn't make our guests come back another time. So we'll record through a hurricane if we have to. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heather, how are you? I'm good. And Michelle, thanks for giving me a lesson this morning on hurricanes and tornadoes, because being up where I live just in the in the north in Canada, I wasn't aware of all the things involved. So, yes, we're praying for you, praying for safety. And up here, we're still covered in smoke from wildfires. So if people weren't wearing masks because of COVID, they're wearing masks now because we can barely breathe out there. It is just amazing how 2020 continues to unravel here. For us, but I'm excited about this episode and praise God that he knows all of these things and he is holding us all in the palm of his hand. So yeah, good to be with you all. Yes, yes, indeed. And oh, listeners, you're going to love this. So I'm just going to let you, um, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. I want to introduce our one of our beloved guests today is Dr. Andrew Swafford. He is the Associate Professor of Theology at Benedictine College. He is general editor and contributor to the Great Adventure Catholic Bible published by Ascension Press and host of the video series, and author of the companion book on Hebrews, and also on Romans. Maybe you saw him with Jeff Cabins, if you haven't checked out. That was one of my one things last season, so you might want to check that out. Uh, Andrew is the author of Nature and Grace, uh, John Paul II to Aristotle and Back Again, and Spiritual Survival in the Modern World. He holds a doctorate in Sacred Theology from the University of St. Mary of the Lake, and a master's degree in Old Testament and Semitic Languages from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is a member of the Society of Biblical Literature, Academy of Catholic Theology, and a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He is married to his beautiful wife, Sarah, and they have five kids, and they live in Atchison, Kansas. Dr. Andrew Swafford, welcome. <laughs> it's so good to be with you all. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, we're delighted. We're absolutely delighted to have you on. And we have to ask you, I mean, just the first question, and then I'll let Heather and Michelle take over. The first question we ask every single one of our guests, whether it's Bishop Barron or whoever it is, is 
most importantly, how do you take your coffee, Dr. Swafford? How do you take your coffee? Straight black. Just <laughs> give me a caffeine shot oh, and I'm he's good tough. to go. <laughs> never, never any cream, never any almond milk, nothing? You know, I've got a sweet tooth in some things, but not in this. I just need the efficient cause right there and I'm ready to go. <laughs> there you go. Efficient cause. That's the Spoken like way. a true theologian yes. right there. <laughs> we can definitely respect that. <laughs> Dr. Swafford, I would just love to know a little bit about your personal story of conversion and just how you, yeah, what inspired you to get your doctor to teach, but most importantly, just when did you encounter Jesus in a personal way in your life? Well, what a question. Well, I, I grew up Catholic, but kind of in name only. And uh, I, so I teach at Benedict College now, but I came here as a student a long time ago for one reason, and that was to play football. That was uh, where I was at that time. And, and lo and behold, uh, through a number of things, I, I met Jesus Christ and I met him in the Catholic faith. Uh, here, one of my mentors here that uh, I'm sure your listeners and y'all will know is Dr. Edward Sree. There was a, uh, a broken leg and a couple of different things happened. And I was in a, a Christian moral life class with him. And you think it's about a bunch of rules and, you know, don't do this. Bible searches this and that and the other. And you learn about freedom, friendship, virtue, happiness, and kind of see this is why you're not happy because you're made for more and just fell in love with the faith, with scripture. And he just changed my life. And uh, he and his wife, uh, Beth, became mentors to me and my wife, Sarah, and uh, just kind of became disciples of them and um, was never the same and really just kind of wanted to give back, pay it forward in the way uh, he gave to me. So that's that's kind of how I got here. And I, I, I never, many in my life, many people who go back to high school, they would never, ever have anticipated this. But <laughs> here I am by the grace of God. That's awesome. So what inspired you to go and get your doctorate? Was that it? Was it just like, okay, I want to go deeper into my faith? Or what was that call like? You know, I mean, like a lot of people, you you meet Jesus Christ, you meet him in a profound way, and you want to give back, and, and you want to go into ministry. You, 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 you consider religious life really hard. And uh, you know, in, in my discernment, I kind of, uh, I, I discerned uh, away from that and kind of had some worldly motives, I think were kind of covering some of my motivation there. And my wife, Sarah transferred into Benedict and the year after I had my conversion. So it's really kind of, I look back and I kind of see the Lord kind of preparing me to meet her because, uh, she never had to wonder, is this conversion about her? Cause it, it, it you know, she really met me afterward, mm-hmm. you, you know, and I, like I said, I just want to give back. And, and one of the things for me, scripture, it was to connect Jesus to the church, to connect Jesus to the story of Israel, and, and to really encounter the living God in a living way through Scripture and, and allow that to fuel our great Catholic faith uh, was just so profound for me. So to kind of just reintroduce more people uh, into the, the living God and to know him personally, that's kind of what, what led me there. And because you think of all the things you could have studied, and I just I think it's fascinating. I, you talk about biblical theology and, and Scripture and you know, for so many people, they're like, oh, that's what Protestants do. <laughs> like, that's not what Catholics mm-hmm. do. And so to see somebody who's very young and I mean, to already have a doctorate in biblical theology and scripture, um, you know, is it, did you find like it was a personal thing where you're like, the church needs this? Or, I mean, how did that open its door to you? Like, what was something that really led that door to be open for your heart? Gosh, that's, well, that's a good question. So, so it started, I had two classes with Dr. Shri, I had an intro uh, to theology and then a New Testament class. And, and just the kind of salvation history narrative and connecting Jesus to the church, as I mentioned, that was kind of what planted the seeds. Uh, so that's spring of my freshman year. And then our football team played an exhibition game in Paris, France uh, that May. So after my freshman year, and at the time I didn't even want to go. I wanted to get home to Ohio where I'm from to train, try to gun for a starting spot my sophomore year. And I'm over there and my legs go out from beneath me in more ways than one. I broke my fibula in Paris, France. Uh, oh and so I'm just crushed. Yeah. My whole world is just, you know, like just depression and mm. just, just crushed. But what I learned that spring semester before the injury kind of started to seep from the head to the heart. 
so, so there I am beginning my sophomore year and Dr. Shree and I went out to lunch and I'm firing a bunch of questions left and, and, you know, all summer kind of what I had learned from him in the spring was kind of seeping from the head to the heart. And, uh, all of a sudden I'm kind of entertaining the possibility of changing my life and giving my life to this. And that's when he said, you know, I'm teaching this classical Christian moral life. It's full, but if you'd like, I'll let you in. And at the time I was already taking 17 hours, but I, I was red shirting that season because I hadn't trained all summer, I didn't want to waste a year of eligibility. And so I took the class, took 20 hours. And that, that class was what put me over the hump. That changed my life. You know, and this is the time of 9-11, right? So it was, I'll never forget that happening. I'll never forget the class the next week when Dr. Shree is like, you know, some people want to say that morality is relative, your truth, my truth. And he's just like, tell that to the people in New York. And you, I mean, it was just silence, just complete silence. It, you know, so the combination of, of the moral life and then scripture uh, and the tutelage under Dr. Shree it was just kind of key to evangelization, key to discipleship, key to kind of mm. really encountering the living God and, and really kind of studying Jesus and the Gospels and recognizing that the same Jesus that I worship in the Blessed Sacrament, the same Jesus present in adoration, that's the same Jesus that I'm studying and connecting liturgy and the church. And so I also majored in philosophy at the same time because I, I saw how it could help. So sister, your question, why biblical theology? Partly that's just how I was exposed to theology to begin with. I love, I love all parts of theology, and I, I'm at home with St. Thomas Aquinas and doctrine. What, what I do sense, though, at least now, is that a lot of students love doctrine. They love the clarity of doctrine. They're afraid of Scripture. And, and I worry about kind of a Catholic deism kind of creeping in here where the faith becomes an idea. And, and I see Scripture as key to avoiding that and, and, and to see Scripture as giving life to our sacramental life, to our doctrinal life, the way we teach, the way we preach. With Scripture ignored and neglected— I fear that Catholic deism kind of creeps in. The faith becomes an idea, not about a person. I love that. I love that it was Dr. Shri who poured into you and therefore that you felt that just call to pour back. And I mean, for someone that all of us, but someone that loves young adults, I mean, that is how my husband and I actually came together. It's just forming young adults that that is your passion too. Like you were mentored and discipled, therefore you will mentor and disciple. So like for your college students, how would you mentor and disciple them in scripture and the faith? Like, how would you even start that? Like, okay, how does... What do your college students encounter Christ in scripture in your class is what I want to say. And we're all probably going to want to sign up for your classes after this. Go ahead. (laughs) That's true. Well, I I, I love what you're saying because I I began this semester saying theology is really about intellectual discipleship. That's what what we're here for. More is caught than is taught. And uh, I love doing it with my wife, Sarah. I mean, she's a master evangelist. She's got this knack for saying what needs to be said and you still (laughs) like her afterward, right? Uh, And and it's, you know, and, and do you love people enough to say the hard truths and to say them in a loving way? That, so that was my experience with, with all my mentors. I guess one prime example for me was spring of 2018. My wife and I taught in our study abroad program in Florence, Italy. And I taught my class there on John Paul II. And, and, and we were living with 48 students. And my family was with 48 students and my kids. And, and that was kind of a powerful way of what we're trying to accomplish in the regular semester. That's harder to, but it's just... You know, it's we like to have students over to the house. That's why we got into this. It's not, I love academics. I love scholarship. But to what end? I love to leverage that to the real goal, which is wisdom and sanctity and discipleship. And if it's not passed on, it's going to die. I love what you're saying about connecting the head and the heart. Like, I think it's so important. It's so important that we pursue understanding and that we pursue knowledge to help us grow in our relationship with God. Like you said, there, like, there has to be another goal than just having knowledge for the sake of knowledge. And I, I think with scripture, often people don't know how to make that connection. You know, they read it, it seems dry, or they hear it read in a dry, dry way, or 
sometimes we put a tone of voice to God or to scripture that makes it seem like it's something different than it is. And and I just wonder, like, where would you suggest that people start? If they're like, I, I want to know how to pray with scripture, I just don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know how to make it personal. What, what would you suggest to them? What a great, that's the perennial question. First, start small, start small, start with the gospels, you know, the, uh, and then the next thing I'd say is that there's some really good resources out there. So to kind of get get a hold of some good resources. So I, I, I kind of skipped over this, but one of the key books for me uh, was Dr. Shree's Mystery of the Kingdom, which he's he's kind of redone as uh, God with us now. But when I was in Paris in that hotel and I broke my leg, I actually brought that book with me. And I was supposed to have read it during the semester, <laughs> but I didn't, of course. <laughs> and so I sat in the hotel room all by myself because I broke my leg the second day we were there. And you know, everybody else is looking at the you know, Castle Versailles and things like that. And, and here I am reading this book. And it was just a profound moment of connecting Jesus to the church. Everybody loves Jesus. I want Jesus on my side, but get that stinking institution away from me. But he connected the dots for me. So uh, that's a good one. Father Keeps His Promises by Scott Hahn. I mean, there, there's so, there, Petrie's got a lot of great stuff. You know, the, the Great Adventure Catholic Bible, just something to kind of give you the lay of the land and to help you read with faith and reason, get the big picture and just kind of get some of the principles going on. The, the catechism is a big help here. So I'd say start small, read with faith. Don't be intimidated. But, you know, the liturgy, let that help you. So there, there's so many good resources. I think number one, get a hold of some easy, accessible, good resources to get you started and then kind of be not afraid. That's good. That's really good. Because what would you say, Dr. Swafford, that some are some of the misconceptions of the Bible? I know sometimes people say, well, it's all literal or it's all figurative or it's all metaphor. It's all, and it's really not. Could you just kind of help our listeners understand just the beauty of scripture and just the different ways that, that God has revealed to us through the Old Testament and the New Testament? Amen. I, the, one of the key guiding principles of, of Catholic biblical theology is typology. Uh, and you've got some great lines in Catechism 128, 129, a great quote from St. Augustine that many of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard that the old is revealed in the new, the new is concealed in the old. And, and so uh, in the way like Aquinas puts it in the Summa, for example, is that God can signify things with words as we can. I can, I can say dog and something comes to mind, but God can use things to signify further things. So we read about the lamb, the Passover lamb, and that refers to a thing happening. But that whole event, because God is provident over history, is staging what's coming later. So two things. One, the old points to the new. So you got a typology historically with Eve, Mary is the new Eve, Adam, Jesus, the new Adam. But also, I think this is really important, typology vertically and metaphysically. What I mean by this is to read the earthly in light of the heaven. Mm. So the promised land becomes a type of heaven because everybody gets caught up on the battles and the violence and this and that. And what you really have in the old is a movement from the old, the earthly to the heavenly, from nature to grace, from the old to the new. So I think if you think of those two axes of a typology from the old to the new, historically or horizontally, but then also vertically. So when we kind of come across tough things, it's not just spiritual or literal. I mean, there, there's different genres for one. I think that's part of what Sister's getting at, that you read a psalm differently than you read the, the narrative of First Kings. You read Genesis 1 through 11 differently than you read other things that come, come later. So one, to be attentive to the literary genre and the nuances there. But I think overall, just as a guiding principle, to read it both historically and theologically, to read it typologically as the old paving the way for the new and the earthly paving the way for the heaven. I love that. So with doing that, when you're talking about typology, and I absolutely love that, and the girls make a lot of fun of me because I just love, well, I love Old Testament because I love Jewish, um, just anything historical Jewish. Like, I love that we're about to go into the feast days, the high holy days, you know, starting this next week and stuff like that. And, um, and one of my dear friends here is Jewish, but she has enhanced my faith so much, my Catholic faith, with her beauty of her Jewish faith and tradition. And she's made me see, like, 
to connect the dots in between. But I think also connecting the dots between, I think a lot of Catholics we have in our mass, liturgy of the word and liturgy of the Eucharist. I remember being at Franciscan and Dr. Mento, our biblical studies teacher that I had for that semester was saying, liturgy of the Eucharist does not trump liturgy of the word. They go together. They're a harm, you know, they're both and like together it is. So what would you even say to Catholics? Because like you were saying earlier, we want to just, we want doctrine, but it is doctrine and scripture. They go together to have this. We want also a living, tangible faith that, you know, that we can see played out in our everyday reality. So what would you say to just the Catholics trying to be in harmony with liturgy of the word and liturgy of the Eucharist together in mass? Amen. One to take it seriously, just what you said. I mean, I love St. Thomas Aquinas. I love John Paul II, but you're never going to hear them read at Mass. Mm, that's a good point. Right? And to try to take on the mind of the doctors. I mean, look at St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, he reveres Scripture. He thinks that you should study the Summa so you're ready for his Bible classes. Right? So to kind of put the mind of the church, uh, to kind of take that on, you know, Ratzinger once, then Ratzinger once said that the, the synagogue where you had the word proclaimed, and the temple where you have the sacrifice and the priesthood come together in the mass, wow. liturgy of the word, mm. liturgy of the Eucharist. It's, I, I, I think part of what happens is, and again, I love my Protestant brothers and sisters, and I, I studied at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I, they, they called me Catholic Andy there. <laughs> That's so great. But I, I love I, it. I, well, but yeah. I, I think w- at least w- one aspect of, of, of the legacy of the Reformation sometimes is to see a radical discontinuity and rupture between the Old and the New Testament. So you think about the, the temple veil tearing when Jesus dies on the cross. And, and a lot of a, a lot of Protestants will take that as the end of temple, the end of priesthood, the end of liturgy, the end of all sacrifices, all those things. And now we're done with that. And so now we just have, you know, faith alone. And that's how we encounter the Lord. Well, but there's really more going on than that because it's not just the end of temple and liturgy and priesthood. It's really the end of earthly priesthood, earthly sacrifice, earthly temple, and the ushering of the heavenly. And this is part of what Hebrews is all about. And so to see not just radical rupture, but the continuity of revelation, I think is a great help. But, but as I said, again, I think the key is to see the earthly is moving to the heavenly that the, the old Testament, I love it, but it is a story in search of an ending. Mm, that's a good point. And to kind of keep that in mind as we go and, and, and to read the Bible from the heart of the church mm-hmm. with both faith and reason. I remember being at a conference when I was a young person and, you know, it was that experience of having this wonderful, lively experience of faith and then going back to a very dry um, experience at home, you know, kind of that mountaintop and then going back to reality. And the one thing that the gift that God gave me was that the scriptures came alive at mass. Like all of a sudden it was like the Holy Spirit just breathed life into the scriptures and I was sitting in mass and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this applies right to what I'm going through, you know, right now. It became very, very personal. And and I would love to just hear like what scripture has just become very personal for you, because I would love that transition to happen for our listeners, especially those who are just longing for scripture to leap off the page and become something that is alive in their life. So I would just love to hear a personal story of a scripture that means something for you. Gosh, that is fantastic. You know, one that I love to return to is the rich young man. Mm. The rich young man, if you would be perfect, and then obviously he goes away sad. And and I don't read him as kind of this upstart hypocrite. I mean, in Mark's account, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him and says, it, it almost afraid, like a lot of us, uh, basically a good guy, but afraid to go all in. And there's many kinds of, of riches. There's many kinds of poverty. And so it, what I love about that 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 parable there is uh, that story is that 
what I'm clinging to that keeps me from deeper intimacy with Christ changes throughout my life. So you can go back to it again and again and again. So that's always been a powerful one for me. I remember when in college, uh, Mark 8:38, where Jesus, you know, says, uh, the, he was ashamed of, of me and my words in this generation. I'll, I'll, that the son of man will be ashamed of when he, when he comes again. And the athlete in me was like, do I have Jesus back or not? Am I afraid to kind of to go public with this or not, you know? And so that hit me like a ton of bricks. He's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't count this as friends. What kind of friend are you going to be to Jesus here? It's so, beautiful. Like, I guess, I mean, just different stages, I guess, uh, in my journey there. And what would you say, Dr. Swafford? I mean, you really, had a, as a college professor, you're really at ground zero. I know um, Dr. Sri talks about this, of the new evangelization. You are at ground zero. And and as we know, universities today are just like hotbeds of atheism, all kinds of just interesting, <laughs> to say the least, ideas of what society is, is promoting to young people today. And then when you look at kind of what the unraveling of culture and the unraveling of society, and then you see people like, say, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who some of his most famous lectures are on the Bible. They're the sociological explanations of the Bible. Like, what do you see as a professor of young adults? How is scripture encountering the generation today? Like, what does it have to say to us right now in our lives? That's a that's a great, great, great question. Great question. In some ways, I prepared to teach myself as mm. a student, and I wasn't ready when I first came back to the the way the context had changed. And it wasn't that long ago, but but the the questions were different. So I I suppose you know when I was in college, there still was the the, the Catholic Protestant questions were still burning and things like that. Whereas I'd say one issue that we have now is just getting people to care. Their, their questions are almost 17 steps prior to those Catholic Protestant debates. It's sort of, why should I even trust the Bible? Why should I even trust Scripture? So uh, on the one hand, the, the students are starving for authenticity. They're hungry. It's cliche, but it's absolutely true. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. I've, I've also found that they want, they want we all want meaning in our lives, and, and they, they really want the challenge. They want it given in love, but Jumpal Second once said that, when you lower the bar for the youth, you actually rob them of their chance to be morally mm. heroic. Wow. That deep down they're, they're yearning for, and that was my experience, and I've seen that to be true again and again. So on the one hand, I think the apologetic task is important, but we have to be careful with how we couch that. So on the one hand, what can apologetics do? It can remove obstacles. It can provide motives of credibility, but it can't bring you all the way. So it's needed, but we have to also invite people into the mystery to encounter the living God. The theology includes an apologetic proclamation, but it goes far beyond that. And so I, I think that kind of careful balance uh, is key because they, they want reasons for, their, for the hope that's within, and they want honest reasons, right? So bad arguments, they, they, they don't work in the end. So they, they want robust arguments. They want robust reasons. They also really appreciate your honesty and uh, I think the invitation to go all in and see what's there. Now, we're blessed. We have incredible students at Benedictine. So I, I, I got all kinds of students, but the hunger is still there. The questions, I think, are a little bit different than they were 20 years ago. Right? I would like to know, like, all right, what is one project that you're working right on or have done that you're passionate about? And like, what inspires you to even begin it to do it? You know, like, what did the Holy Spirit stir up within you to do something that you've been working on besides teaching? Because we know that you do... Um, Teaching and being a husband and father is a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, amen. And, 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 you know, just, I mean, I, I, part of me is like, I can't believe that they pay me for this because I would do this for free. I mean, to, to, to study theology. Don't say that too loud. Yeah. And, you know, no, I, <laughs> but if they want to give you a raise, that's fine too. Yeah. My, my wife might, might slap me. But I'll, I'll, 
you know, you mentioned at the beginning, so the Great Adventure Bible we did a couple of years ago, um, that, that, that's that been a lot of fun. It's been really well received because it, it's like Jeff Cavins and the Bible timeline that he pioneered 25 years ago, just kind of put in the Bible that kind of really helps the reader understand the big picture of what's going on. We just did the Hebrew series. I wrote, we the book was written before COVID hit, but the presentations were given, we recorded them at the end of May. So that was after COVID and, and Hebrews is so liturgical. And one of the fascinating things about Hebrews is it really seems to be an ancient homily. And so one of my great hopes is that this could help galvanize people to return to the Eucharist, you know, if you're healthy and things like that. But we've been away for so long. We've been doing Bible studies, watching the mass online and, and to come back and realize the new covenant is not just a text. It's a living liturgical reality. And, and to see the movement from, as you said, Michelle, the, the importance of sacred scripture, but the movement, just like the road to Emmaus, from the sac- from the scriptures to the breaking of the bread. So my hope, my hope is that it'll, it'll kind of help people kind of come back to that. That's the Eucharist isn't Plan B. This is this is God's gift to the world. This is Jesus present among us. So we've, I've got a couple things in line for Ascension uh, in the next couple of years, but uh, that's kind of just still in the works right now. Dr. Swafford, if it's not too personal, how do you, I just would love to learn from you. Like, how do you grow as a human being? Like, how do you, as you study the scripture and as you, like, what is your prayer like? Can we ask mm. you, like, how do you incorporate this in your life as, as a, you know, as we talked about, as like a beloved son, as a husband and as a father? Like, how do you, could you share with our listeners, like, how you incorporate this into your own personal prayer? Would that be okay to ask you? No, that's fantastic. And, and I get this from students a lot because especially theology majors, right? The, the, the great danger, as great as academics is, is that the faith becomes just an academic pursuit. And they, they, they read the Bible and they can't shut off the pure academic uh, you know, vantage point. And, and the thing is, we don't want to have this schizophrenia, right? So the intellect is part of a life of wisdom. It's part of a life of sanctity. I think the modern pension is to kind of divorce these two. But it, it is a perennial temptation. I think to one, to pray. I mean, that's such a simple thing to say, but to pray with scripture. And I'm talking to myself right now, preaching to myself. Uh, am I praying as much as I'm studying? And, and, and am I willing to take small bites? That's the key for me, to take small bites, whether it's reading the readings from mass or uh, just to kind of chew on a paragraph or a line or a word and, and kind of not let the Lord speak. I mean, what I, what I love more than anything is to, is to kind of get into, and I, to get students to read the Bible historically and theologically. And I try to do the same myself. But what that means is that Jesus' words or the scripture's words are never exhausted by their context. So how do these words register in their context, but speak to it and through it and beyond? That's to read it as the word of God. And so if we read it just as a human word, we we, we imagine that its its meaning is exhausted by its own day, that all these little nuggets that we can look up in encyclopedias is all there is to say. That's the beginning, not the end. So I think I have to remind myself all the time. I think, number one, be around the liturgy, be around mass, pray, and, and to take time to pray through the scriptures. So, Sister, I, this is a great question because it's an examination for me. Am I, am I doing this regularly? But I think, too, one thing that's been helpful for me, my kids, I've got two teenagers now, 14 and 13, and to really kind of introduce them into the scriptures, Kids are just a great accountability of what, what are you teaching? What are you really teaching? And what are you passing on? Are you passing on the living word of God, a love story that includes ourselves right now that redounds to the present? Or are you simply passing on a kind of a history lesson? It's got historic, it's, it's historically rooted, but that's mm-hmm. the beginning, not the end. 
Yeah, before we go into our one thing, Dr. Swafford, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing and the gift that you're making to the church, especially at a time where our culture is so focused on personal opinions and what people feel and think themselves and the Word of God and the power of God's Word seems to be diminishing in importance in people's lives. I'm just so grateful that you're devoting your life to to teaching people how to not just know the Word or respect the Word, but to fall in love with God's Word and to live it out and to help it guide their life. Well, Heather, thank you. And, and thanks to all that you're doing. I, I just think we really got to, we got to reclaim so many aspects, the human person, the scriptures, even the natural order is not just a bunch of bumpy molecules, but the embodiment of divine wisdom. And I think that we have to be out with truth and love, uh, be happy warriors. And, and I just, uh, you know, we're all, we're all in this together. The Lord has won the war, but we, there's people being lost and they don't have to be lost. And we've got to get out there Give them all the Lord wants to give them. Okay, I have one more question. We keep on saying that to <laughs> yeah. you, but I really do. <laughs> but we have, like, the majority of our listeners are women, but we have a good male counterpart that likes to let themselves be known also, which we love, and we're so hey, good. count me in that. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> which we love, and we honor them, and we're so glad they're with us. We want to make a table for all. But especially for the men, I would love to know, how do you pray for your wife and children oh, personally? Good one. Yeah, because we were, we, my husband and I were having this conversation with two other friends of ours, just as fathers and husbands. We were, and I, we were, it was good. We were chuckling too, but we're like, how do you practically pray for your wife and your children? Well, yeah, that's, what a great question. So I, I love the Divine Mercy, St. Faustina. I pray the uh, blood and water prayer for each one of them uh, each night, just to kind of, you know, I, so I mean, that, that's one guy's concrete things. Uh, there, there's certain things that I offer up at every uh, consecration to, to, you know, because the mass, why the mass, right? Why, this isn't just an add-on to the cross, right? This is so that we can all, the head and the body, every one of us can enter into the Paschal Mystery and be offered up in him with him through him to the Father. So those may be, I guess, two concrete regular things. And then praying with them is is partly a way of praying for them because, again, the faith is not just an idea. More is caught than is taught. If they don't see me praying and even affectively expressing my love for Jesus at, at the affective and emotional way, right? So, I mean, we, we, we like as Catholics to talk about, well, it's the intellect and the will and love's an act of the will. Yeah, but that doesn't mean the emotions aren't important. Uh, they are immensely important and they will affect the will in the long run because the the head's going to follow the heart. So I, I, you know, there, there's more that we can say. I mean, we, 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 we hit or miss. We, 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 you know, we try to get, we try to get the rosary of the divine mercy chaplet in, uh, each night. We're not perfect. The kids call the divine mercy chaplet, the, uh, the small rosary. Because <laughs> 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 sometimes, you know, t- time-wise it's a little easier to do that, but. Oh, my kids, if they get a vote, they always vote divine mercy chaplet. So I don't know if that, 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 those are my two, I guess, kind of regular things. We, we prayed the liturgy of the hours for a while with COVID. That was, I mean, that lasted for a month and then it sort of <laughs> totally. off. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, life's a work in progress, but, uh, it's, you know, what's the Lord going to judge me on? He's not going to say how many, I mean, well, okay, I, I, you know, I keep talking about him, but he's just such a profound mentor for me at that stage in life in college. But, you know, a lot of us had our lives changed by Dr. Sri and, and so many others. And I'll never forget him saying, you know, look, my 30 years from now, my lectures, people, I can remember those books. I can remember those. My kids will remember the time I did or did not spend mm-hmm. with them. And so to my wife, and that just always stuck with me. It's like, you changed Amen. our lives. And so what, really matters at the end of the day. And this is, you know, a constant temptation because the world can creep in. We want to be ambitious. Ambition as an athlete, there's a place for it. 
but it can be the world, you know, a little bit of G, you, know, you put a little Jesus frosting on the world and that doesn't make it virtuous. Yeah, that's a good, that word, that's a good quote, man. Woo, we're going right to drop there. that one, yep. make a coffee mug out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell when it's a good line. If we yeah, put, like, put mm-hmm. it on a coffee mug. We'll like that's, on a coffee mug. Our, like, exactly. that's our status for right there. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. No, and amen to it. Amen to it. Amen. I, that and that's, great. that's so true. And like, that's, that's the definition of, like, that's how we love. Right. And that's what, at the end of, at the end of all things, that's what the Lord will look at us and ask us how we loved. And that's the most important thing. That's the eternal thing is we know it's a thing that lasts forever. So, uh, Dr. Swafford, as you know, uh, oh gosh, we wish we'll have to have you back another time. We would love to have you back with your beautiful wife, you and Sarah, just to talk about, your marriage and your ministry together and your philosophy of how you raise your children. I mean, you guys are just really a wonderful example, just to so many of life and love lived out every single day. So we'll have to have you on another time. But you might know that we have a one thing at the end of every podcast where we just talk about the one or two, Michelle, or three uh, things that um, are really speaking to us or just that we want to talk about. So we would just like to give you the first dibs on this week's one thing. So what's your what are your one things this week? What do you really love that's just really blessing you? Will, my wife, is the best thing I can smoking like a good husband, yeah. So that's right. Beyond, uh, beyond that, you know, so some of this might be a little arcane, but uh, Matthias Joseph Shaben, I think, is the greatest theologian that no one's ever heard of. But uh, he, he's mm. a he's got a devotional that's a little more accessible called The Glories of Divine Grace, uh, his famous work called The Mystery of Christianity. But he's a Thomist, but he reads St. Thomas on the heels of the Church Fathers, and he makes you want to pray. The, the other thing I, I guess I wanted to mention, I had just had lunch with a, a longtime friend who was a, my philosophy mentor here at Benedict, and uh, he's, he's kind of a veteran father, and he was just kind of sharing some advice that he's given to students over the years about fatherhood, and he's like, you know, don't just play with your kids, but enjoy what you're playing with them. And it just struck me the power of the effect, and I think he's so right, because in our culture, we think, well, the will is just going to follow the, the appetite. But the reality is, this is what he was saying, we are far more fluid than that. Right, the will can actually influence the effective, and to not just play the game with my kids or my or same thing with my with my spouse, my wife, our friends. You know those friends that feel it with you. They feel your joys. They feel your triumphs. They they take the time to share in what you enjoy, and not just as like an artificial force thing, but to really enter into it. That's and I think he's just so right that the affective is so important. So I suppose those are the two things there, two or three. Uh, my, my, my wife, uh, the beginning and the end, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> You're a good man. Yeah, he is. Very good. Very good. Heather, what about you? What, are, what is your one thing for the week? Yeah, my one thing is an album by a couple Canadian girls who I encountered one of them. She was leading worship at a women's conference that I did at the St. Therese Institute. And her and her sister ha- just released an album a few weeks ago called Victory. Um, and their names are Jay and Joe. And you can look it up on Spotify or wherever you find music. But I just love there's just solid Catholic music coming out. This album is not your regular, I don't know, even worship album. Like it's really creative. They definitely have their own style and I've just really been enjoying listening to it. So I would just want to encourage everybody to check it out. Uh, Victory by Jay and Joe. Michelle, what's your one thing? Of course. I just don't want Dr. Swapper to feel by himself. So I have two yes, one yes, things. Of course, of course. Um, one is a book that I've been really savoring by Father Ian Matthew, and it's called The Impact of God, but it is on the writings of St. John of the Cross. But it is a great introductory book on the writings of St. John of the Cross without watering down the message and the beautiful, the mystical wisdom of St. John of the Cross. And 
I have just been savoring it and it is beautiful and it brings you into intimacy and it brings you into wonder and it just brings you also like at the times that we're going right now, it feels like very dark night of the soul, but he gives such good concrete wisdom, how to go through the different stages of prayer, which I just think, you know, that we need. And my second one thing is, I didn't say this when we first started the season back is uh, last week or two weeks ago, we had um, the CFRs come for a home visit, two of them, <laughs> Father Mark Mary <laughs> and Father Innocent. And so we know that the CFRs love to talk smack about the Abiding Together podcast. But I just have to tell you, like, there is such a beauty about when um, religious and laity all come together and are portrayed as family. Like they, I mean, we have a great time with them when they come and, but I love it that my kids get to see the, this part of the church. And I told them, I was like, it is not lost on me that my kids get to tackle you in football or play one-on-one with you basketball. And just to, you know, that you do life with us or do dishes and stuff like that. And I was like, they get to see a beautiful part of the church and I'm grateful. So we do love the CFRs, even though they like to, talk a lot of smack about us and so <laughs> I love one of their listeners was like I love the CFR's podcast it's like abiding together but dudes <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> so funny so good. so good sister what about you oh well you know mine is, is is a little more I guess on the human level it's food okay so I love the, I love the fall probably the fall is my favorite season and the question we're all asking ourselves is why do you live in South Texas I agree but when it's fall everywhere else and I love pumpkins and I, I I love butternut squash. For some reason, butternut squash just speaks to me of like fall. There's so many different ways to make it. It's such a versatile um, vegetable and it's just really solid and substantial. And um, so there you go. Butternut squash, my one thing. I'll throw down a recipe or two and you can make it for your family. So <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Dr. Andrew Swafford, <laughs> God bless you. Thank you so much for being on the Abiding Together podcast. Oh, sister, thank you so much for having me. Such an honor. And thank you again for all that you do. You're helping so many people. We're delighted to have you. And we're going to put a link to all of your resources that you mentioned um, so our listeners can check out your study, the Bible that you've helped edit, the, the Hebrews, Romans, all the other stuff. So we just want people to have access to such great stuff. And dear listeners, maybe as you listened, you also felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you about just a new encounter with the Lord in Scripture. So maybe that's picking up the Gospels this week or diving into the daily Mass readings, whatever that is for you. We're just going to ask you just to open your heart and just to make one step forward, just to be able to rest in the Lord and His sacred word for us because He loves us and leads us ever closer to himself. So until next week, we will be abiding together. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, would you please share it with a friend? We encourage you to head over to our website, abidingtogetherpodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, links to our one thing, transcripts, group discussion questions for each episode, and beautiful mugs, t-shirts, journals, and prints in our shop. There you can also subscribe to receive our weekly email with links to each new episode and all of its content. We'd love to connect on social media and invite you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so you can catch inspiring reflections every day. You're also welcome to join our private Facebook group and dive deeper into discussions with our fellow listeners. If the podcast has blessed you, would you prayerfully consider financially supporting us? The Abiding Together podcast is only available due to the generous support of our listeners. There are significant costs associated with creating this content, such as tech support, design, website, equipment, and hired staff that we need to be able to continue offering great content to you. Abiding Together is a nonprofit 501c3, and all donations are tax deductible. 
You can make donations of any amount through a website called Patreon, or you can send us a check directly if that's easier. If you donate $15 or more per month on our Patreon page, you become a tribe member and you will receive monthly individual videos from Michelle, Heather, and I, as well as other exclusive content, recipes, playlists, downloadable prints, and more. You can find all the information about Patreon at patreon.com forward slash abiding together. Thank you and God bless you.